You are listening to an Elam Christian Center podcast. We hope that you are inspired, encouraged, and empowered by the message you are about to hear. Yes, we're so excited about Christmas this year. And I just have one thing I want to say. Actually, I've got a couple of things I want to say. But before I get into my message, I just need a show of hands. Who has joined Elam Christian Center Botany in the last two years? So you've come in the last couple of years, you're reasonably new to us. Okay, all right, there's a few of you. Right, okay, guys, I just need to let you in on something. All right, this Christmas, in the Christmas season, Botany, Elam is the place to be. All right, there is no greater place to be at Christmas. We have a history of 30 plus years of being the place to come for Christmas, okay? We run a Christmas production, and we have done for many, many years. As long as I can remember, there has been a Christmas production happening here at Elam on Botany Road, and there have been hundreds, if not thousands of people that spend their Christmas with us every single year. This year, it's happening on the 21st, no, sorry, ignore that, 22nd and 23rd, 5 p.m. and 7 p.m., two shows each evening, and we are going, we, we want you to bring your friends, we want you to bring your family members, we want you to bring your work colleagues, there are going, there's going to be a choir, there's going to be a nativity, there's going to be actors, there's singers, there is going to be little tiny people dressed up as cute animals, picking their noses on the stage, it's just all going down, it's all going down. I tell you what, when I was younger, I used to come to every single show of the Christmas production, I loved it that much. I Christmas production is in my blood. I've been the star at the top of the tree. I've been an angel. I've been the narrator. I've been Mary. I've ju- the only thing I haven't been is, is baby Jesus. I don't. Actually, I was in when I was little. I was baby Jesus. Yeah, when I grew up in the nativity that my nana used to run, I played baby Jesus. Anyway, come to the Christmas production is all I want to say. <laughs> hey, can we give you guys? Can you give yourselves another massive hand for the effort for Christmas box? <laughs> Christmas box was incredible. So proud of our church and so proud of you guys and just want to say a massive thank you uh, for that. As Steve said, this is a really special Sunday for us as a church. Um, every year, the Sunday before Christmas, we call it Remembrance Sunday. And uh, we're going to do something super duper special at the end of the service. And Steve's going to lead us in that right at the end before we all go home. And uh, it's, it's going to be a um, powerful moment. And um, just want to let you know that that is coming up. But today I'm going to bring uh, the final part before Christmas, before we hit Christmas Day in our series, and I've called it Good News for the Unlikely, which is good news for you and I, if you'd let me call you unlikely, but, you know, good news for you and I today. So I hope you are encouraged by this message. I hope it brings you some hope today. Normally, I'd give you a whole bunch of points, point one, point two, point three, but today I just simply want to take you on a journey, so join me uh, as we do that. When I was um, under 10 years, uh, 10 years and under, I shared a bedroom with my big sister. Anybody else share a bedroom growing up as a kid? Uh, I have to share a bedroom now still. I just realized that. Uh, But when I was younger and I shared a bedroom with my big sister, I used to drive her crazy, absolutely crazy, because she was super neat and tidy. And I, believe it or not, at that age, I was not. I was not neat and tight. In fact, she used to get so frustrated with me that she got brown tape and she put a line of tape going across the furniture down onto the floor to separate the middle of the room. She would say, that's your side of the room. This is my side of the room. Leave your mess on your side of the room. 
So you can imagine that it drove her even more crazy when we got separate rooms and we moved out of that room and she moved into her own room that I magically, mysteriously and miraculously all of a sudden became a neat freak and kept my room in immaculate condition from that point on. See, I really am a neat, tidy person. I love things to be neat and tidy. I love things to be in order, but I've developed a bit of a theory over the years. Do you want to hear what my theory is? My theory is that even if you are a neat, tidy, organized, structured person, everyone has a leak somewhere. You have to have somewhere in your world where the pressure comes off and the mess leaks out. So I'm super neat and tidy. I like to keep my house neat and tidy, but please don't look in my handbag, my car, or my fridge. Those are my leaks. That's where my mess leaks out into those places where I can close the door on them. Do you know what's also super messy? The Christmas story. The Christmas story is messy. When you think and you consider the birth of Christ and the conditions under which he was born, you realize that it involved a whole lot of messiness. The scene in the Bible that's set for us of where Jesus was born was in a stable. There would have been a whole lot of mud and a whole lot of dirt and hay. There were animals in there, which I hate to think what might have been lying around on the floor in the stable where Jesus was born. It was messy. And it might surprise you to know, though, that the messiness of Jesus' story, of the Christmas story, actually didn't start in the stable. But if we go back to Matthew 1 and we read from the beginning of when his story is told, we see that actually there was a whole lot of messiness before the stable scene. Matthew 1 verse 1 says, an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It says, Abraham fathered Isaac, Isaac fathered Jacob, Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers, Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar, Perez fathered Hezron and Hezron fathered Aram, Aram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab, Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth, Obed fathered Jesse, Jesse fathered King David, David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. Now the genealogy of Jesus continues right down to Joseph who was engaged to a girl named Mary who gave birth to Jesus, the Messiah, the risen one, our saviour. Now, genealogies are usually things that we skim over, right? When you read, be honest, when we read those bits in the Bible, most of the time we tend to have this habit of skipping over them, don't we? Because we want to get to the good part. I mean, it's not very interesting, is it? So-and-so begat so-and-so and so-and-so begat so-and-so and so-and-so. Like, it's, it's not very thrilling, is it? Or is it? When you look at the genealogy of Jesus described in Matthew 1, it actually is more interesting than you first think. In fact, it is actually filled with scandal, and it's worth us this Christmas taking a closer look, because you may have picked up that among the list of men in that list, in that genealogy list, there was a handful of women, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and a woman who isn't actually given a name in it, she's called Uriah's wife, but we know her to be Bathsheba. See, traditionally, women's names were missed out of genealogies. They weren't usually mentioned, 
ancestry lists were usually limited to the names of the males. So the fact that there were women's names mentioned in this genealogy list would have made the ears of those listening to the list just perk up a little bit and go, hang on a minute, what is going on here? But the fact that it was these women in particular would have made them spit out their coffee because what we realize about these women is not only were they women mentioned in the Bible, but the most significant thing about them was that they were women who came with mess. They were women who had a history and a background. These were not the good, necessarily the good girls of the Bible. These were not the girls who filled in their Bible study blanks. Like these girls had pasts, they had histories, they had mess. We start with Tamar. Tamar is married to Judah, uh, Judah's firstborn son. Uh, and he passes away before they have any children. And if you remember a couple of weeks ago, I explained to you that if uh, someone was to pass away, then the responsibility of that widow then moves down to the what, what they call the kinsman redeemer, the next closest living male relative. And it was his responsibility to redeem her and provide for her or his, uh, the land of his brother. And so this happens with Tamar. She marries the next brother who also oops, dies before she has a child. And what we learn is, we think, it must, we, we sort of infer from what's said that the next brother was probably a little bit too young for marriage because Judah says to her, I just need you to hang around until this one gets old enough and then you can marry him. Now, in the meantime, I'd imagine that Tamar gets a little bit worried about what's already taken place and this fact that she's now hanging around. She's probably wondering if Judah is just going to leave her out in the cold and forget the obligation that they have to her as a family. And so she takes things into her own hands. I can imagine she's probably worried that Judah blames her for the death of his first two sons, you know, like the black whole black widow situation that's going on here. And so... Instead, what happens is she tries to take matters into her own hands and she disguises herself as a prostitute. And Judah ends up fathering her sons. It happens to be twins, knowing that when, she, when he finds out that she is pregnant with his child, children, that he would have to take her under his wing. He would be, he would be obligated to provide for her. Guys, people say the Bible is boring. This stuff is more interesting than Jerry Springer. I mean, come on, this is not boring stuff. Now, Tamar disguises herself. She pretends to be a prostitute, but our next woman in Jesus' family line doesn't have to because she actually is one. See, we learn that Boaz's mother was a prostitute named Rahab from Jericho. Do you remember the woman who lived in the wall? This woman had a past. And then Boaz marries Ruth. And Ruth becomes the mother of Obed, who fathers Jesse, who fathers King David, who we know is in Jesus' family line. Now, you're probably thinking that Ruth is a good girl, right? What did Ruth do? She didn't do anything. She's a good girl of the story. Well, she is, but we learn that her family tree is sketchy, sketchy. See, if we head back to Genesis 19, uh, to where Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed because of their absolute sin, no one is good enough to be spared except for Lot. Lot and his two daughters are spared. They escape to the cave to live in the mountains. And through another act of trickery, Lot ends up fathering his daughter's children. And one of them is Moab. And Moab is, is the beginning of the people group of the Moabites. And Ruth is from the family line of the Moabites. So Ruth is a good girl who comes from a very crooked family tree. See, when we read about Ruth, we think, oh, she's a good girl. 
But to a Jewish person who was the audience of Matthew 1, to a Jewish person, when they read about Ruth the Moabite, they would have seen her as someone to be pushed aside, someone to be shunned and ignored. That kind of family history was something you wanted to sweep under the carpet. You didn't want to put that in the lineup of Jesus' family story. Then you meet Bathsheba, who Matthew didn't even give a name in this genealogy. She was called Uriah's wife. She ends up committing adultery with David, although in her case, I would consider her to be a victim of power imbalance. After all, who could say no to the king? See, this was not your PG family story. And among those most obvious reasons as to why Matthew could have and possibly should have left these stories out of the genealogy of Jesus, out of the story of his family, he didn't. And he didn't for another reason. And the re one of the other reasons why he could have left them out was that they were all foreigners. Each of the women mentioned were not originally Israelites. Tamar was a Canaanite. Rahab was from Jericho, Ruth was a Moabite, Bathsheba was married first to Uriah the Hittite. They were all not originally part of the bloodline of Israel until they were married into it. And as I sit here, I think to myself, why? Why did Matthew, writing to a Jewish audience, want to leave in the fact that Jesus' family tree was littered with outsiders? Well, I think he did it to remind us all of one thing. Jesus came for everyone. Jesus came for everyone. He want, Matthew wanted to communicate that when Jesus came to save the world, he really meant save the whole world, Jews and, and non-Jews. And I want to communicate real clearly today, just like Matthew, that when I say Jesus came to save the world, I really mean the whole world. I mean insiders and outsiders. Jesus came for everyone. But how many times in our lives do we walk around feeling like complete outsiders? I know I'm not the only one in the room today that can say that you've gone through seasons of your life where you feel like you just don't belong in the room. You know, there is no other place that makes me feel like an outsider than the gym. And that is not just because I really attend, although that is true. Steve says my gym membership is kind of like having a second sponsor child. We pay $30 a month, we get emails, and we occasionally are in contact. <laughs> but I've just never felt, it's just never felt like my zone. It's never felt like my natural habitat, my natural environment. And there is something incredibly daunting about walking into the gym for the first time. Who's with me? I mean, you walk in and there's all these questions going through your head. Am I wearing the right thing? Uh, you know, have I turned up to the right class? Will I know what I am doing? Have I got the right stuff with me? How do you work those machine thingies? And most importantly, the question we're all walking around thinking about is, will I look like a complete idiot in front of all of these people who look like they know what they're doing? Constantly find myself wondering, am I the only one here? who doesn't know or doesn't have a clue what I'm doing at all. There is nothing worse than feeling like an outsider. Nothing worse than feeling like you don't belong in the space you're in, like everyone else has something or knows something you don't, like everyone else is speaking a language you don't understand, doing things you don't know how to do. And for some of us, we've lived our entire lives feeling like we don't belong 
feeling like we are outsiders, but Christ's story told in Matthew 1 is a beautiful reminder that through him, outsiders become insiders because Jesus came for everyone. You don't have to fit a mold. You don't have to clean up first. Jesus takes care of that for us later. You don't have to know a whole bunch. You don't have to dress a certain way. You don't have to tick a whole stack of boxes first because Jesus came for everyone. And there are some of you, and I know you're sitting in the room today, and even now as I say this, you're thinking to yourself, well, that's really cool, and that sounds really great, and oh, that's really beautiful for everyone else, but that's not for me. But I want to tell you today, it is for you. It is for you. Jesus came for everyone, including you, not excluding you, including you. See, Matthew could have told this story of Christ's genealogy, and he could have left out all the mess. In fact, it would have been 100% normal, expected for him to do so, because it wasn't tradition for those names to be left in, but he left them in. And he left them in for a reason. Why? Because he wanted us to know that not only did Jesus come for everyone, but he wanted us to know that perfection is not a prerequisite. Perfection is not a prerequisite for belonging to the family of God, for being adopted into the family of God. See, with this messy genealogy that we read about, there is a promise of, of belonging for the broken. It brings with it a promise of belonging for the outsider. It is a promise of belonging for those who are imperfect. Their stories aren't clean. Their stories are messy. Their stories aren't tidy. But neither is mine. And please don't be offended when I say that neither is yours. We all have messy stories. See, underneath their glaring mistakes of all of those names that we read in this story, if we peel back the layers, I know that we will find people who are actually full of fear. They made mistakes, but really they were full of fear. And they made mistakes, but really they were people who were abandoned. They made mistakes, but really they were people who were abused. And they made mistakes, but really they were people who were missed and marginalized, probably not unlike so many of us. Because we feel that too sometimes, don't we? We feel broken. We feel missed. We feel marginalized. We feel left out. We feel, sometimes we feel excluded. We feel damaged, just like them. And then... Then here comes Matthew, in Matthew 21, and he, he comes with this list, this list of names that leads us straight to Jesus. You know, I have a nearly teenage boy, and often I'll ask him to go and clean his room. And when I ask him if his room is tidy, and he says yes, what I've learned is that there are two different definitions of a clean room. There's my definition and there's his definition. Because when I say, is your room clean? And he says, yes. What I mean by yes is, is everything in its place. What he means by yes is everything is shoved into the wardrobe and I managed to get the wardrobe closed. See, the reality is most of us, we avoid mess. We don't like it. We push it away. It makes us feel uncomfortable. We don't want to deal with it, so we brush it under the carpet or we shove it into the wardrobe and hope the doors don't pop open and it all flies out again. 
But what I love about Matthew 1 is that not only was the drama of their lives not ignored, not only were these stories not swept under the carpet, they weren't shoved into a wardrobe. Their family, his, Jesus' family history wasn't pushed aside and ignored, hoping no one would find out. No, their messy history was brought into the bloodline of Jesus. Like, that's good news for you and I. You know, as a pastor, one of the really interesting times is when I sit next to a stranger, like on a plane or something, and we strike up conversation. And it's always super interesting when someone asks me what I do for a job. And their response is usually one of two ways. When they say, so what do you do for a living? Uh, and I say, I'm a pastor of a church. Like, there's no greater conversation killer than that answer. I tell you, because they, they either are super intrigued, but most of the time they just go, ah, oh, and look the other way. Like, I don't want anything more to do with me. But you know what else is really interesting? Is when I say something like, you should come along to church one day, or you should try a church near you. They often will say, oh, no. Oh, no, I couldn't, I couldn't do that. Oh, no, you don't want to go, you don't want a person like me in your church. See, they think somehow that they're going to mess up the perceived perfection. See, we, we often, and I think you and I do it too, even as we sit in church today, I think we have this idea somehow that perfection comes before grace. But including these messy stories in the family lineup of Jesus, including these lost and broken girls, it actually illuminates grace in a way that proves to us that perfection is not a prerequisite of coming into the family of God. In fact, we find that as a result of the grace that, God, that Jesus gives us. And I want to ask the band to come and join me now. See, when Matthew wrote this family history to a Jewish audience, he was doing it on purpose. He knew what he was doing. And he did it to highlight not only that Jesus came for everyone, not only did he do it to highlight the fact that perfection is not a prerequisite to coming into belonging in the family of God, but he also did it to let us know today that Jesus is the only hero in the story. Jesus is the only hero in the story. In fact, it couldn't have been anyone else. It could not have been anyone else. Jesus came through sinners for sinners. And we cannot take these stories out, even though they're uncomfortable even though they make the genealogy all messy, we can't take them out because if we do, we'd lose the why of why he came. Their stories are the reason he came. Stories like theirs, that's why he came. Stories like yours, that's why he came. Stories like mine, that's why he came. And you cannot tell the story of Jesus without telling the story of sinners. Sinners redeemed into the family of God. You just can't do it because it's their stories that really highlight the magnificence of what Jesus did. It shouts loudly the glory and the splendor of Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says the celebration of Advent is only possible to those who are troubled in soul, who knew themselves, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect 
and who look forward to something greater to come. We can only celebrate the fullness of what Jesus did when we realize our desperate need for a saviour. You and I are not the heroes in the story. We are the reason the hero came. And as soon as we can come to understand our own failings, our own frailties, we will have a much greater understanding of the, of the beauty and the wonder of Christ and the cross. And acknowledging our weaknesses can so often feel like failure, can't it? When we acknowledge our weakness, it's like telling everyone we failed only it actually puts us in a much stronger position. It actually gives us a much more solid ground because when we finally get to acknowledge our failings, our frailties and our weaknesses, we get to live out of his strength and his grace. Coming to a close now, Jesus came for everyone. He came for everyone to prove that perfection is not a prerequisite for belonging to the family of God. But it is simply a reminder that Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is the only hero in the story. Amen? Come on, let's pray together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, I thank you so much that you came and you didn't just come for the insiders. You came for the outsiders too. That's us, Lord. And we thank you that even in our brokenness, even in our mess, even in, in our failings and our weaknesses, God, you came. And you came and you don't need us to be perfect and you don't need us to always get it right and you don't need us to come already sorted out, Lord God. But we can come to you, we can belong, we can be part of your family in any condition, Lord, and you lead us in the way of righteousness. And God, I pray for every single person in this room who has at times in their life felt like an outsider. I pray that right now where they sit, they would get a new sense of belonging in Christ. Lord, I pray that they would no longer feel like they don't belong, like they don't fit in, but they would realize that the place they fit in is in your family. It's in your house. It's in your love and your, your sense of acceptance, oh God. And Jesus, I pray for each person right now as well, who's in a place right now where they feel like they are far from you, Lord. Lord, where they feel like they, they can't come to you because of their mistakes and their failings, oh God. Jesus, I thank you that every single one of us, that you, to every single one of us, regardless of what we've done, Lord, you come with open arms. Right now, church, I just want to speak to that group of people. For those of you who feel far from God right now, those of you who feel like you don't know him, you would say today that, you, you know, this church thing's not really your thing, you're not, not really a Christian, not really into it, but if you were really honest with yourself today, you would say that you know you need God. Right now, you know you're far from him and you need him. I'm going to pray a prayer in just a moment. I've said in this message, God loves you, and he wants to welcome you into his family. There's a place for you. We all walk away. We all make mistakes. At some point, we've all been far from him. The Bible calls it sin. We all do our own thing, try and do it our own way. And that sin, it separates us from God. But in his mercy and grace, 
He sent his son Jesus to live a sinless life on earth and then die a sinner's death that you and I would be able to come and be reconciled with the Father and find relationship with him, not just today, but in eternity too. And I'm gonna pray a prayer in just a moment and you don't have to pray it out loud. You can pray it in your heart, mean it with everything that you've got. I'm gonna lead you in it now. We say, dear Jesus, thank you that you went to the cross for me. Thank you that you paid the debt that I was due. Thank you for your forgiveness today. I choose now to turn from my old way of life and I turn to you. I want to start a journey with you today. I ask that you would come into my life and make me brand new. Thank you for the plans and the purposes that you have for me. In Jesus' name, with every head still bowed and every eye closed, I would love to know who I'm praying for today, and it's not because I want to embarrass you. It's not because I'm going to call you to the front. I would love to be able to know that you prayed that prayer today. We want to be able to celebrate and thank God for that decision that you've made. And so I'm just going to count to three, and on the count of three, it's really simple. All I want you to do is lift your hand nice and high. I'll see it. I'll acknowledge it. Then you can pop it straight back down. That's all it takes. Are you ready? One, two, three. Hands can go up. You're saying, Bex, count me in on that prayer. I prayed it. Yes, awesome. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Over this side. Thank you. I see you. Yeah, down here. You're saying, Bex, can you count me in on that prayer? Prayed it for the first time. Maybe it's not the first time. Maybe you've prayed it before a long time ago, but you know right now you're far from God. Awesome. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we're so thankful for every person who prayed that prayer. God, we pray your blessing over them. We thank you for the plans and the purposes that you have for them. We thank you, Jesus, that you welcome them home into your arms. Lord God, we, we just celebrate right now as all of heaven celebrates. Come on, church. Would you join me in giving God praise? Amen. Thank you for listening to this Elam Christian Center podcast. Please subscribe to keep hearing more life-changing messages. For more information about our church, please visit www.elamchristiancenter.org.nz.